Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 204 of the Solve Your Pride podcast, and today we actually have four wonderful guests. <laughs> we have two SLPs and two of their patients who have been part of their support group. So um, our first SLP is Kristen Winter. She has more than 20 years experience treating adults with dysphagia and neurologic impairments. She received her master's degree from Florida, Florida Atlantic University and bachelor's degree in speech pathology from the University of Florida. She was the lead speech pathologist at her local hospital for many years and ran a stroke support group in her community for over 10 years. She has a passion for advocacy and education for her patients and their caregivers and families, which led her to partner with Maggie to facilitate the Dysphagia Digest of Florida. She's a private practice owner and speech pathologist of SpeechRx in Stewart, Florida. She has been busy attaining many certifications over the past few years including the McNeil Dysphagia Therapy Program, Manual Therapy for Voice and Swallowing Disorders, and also became trained in fees. When she's not busy training patients, you can find her spending time at the beach or watching college sports with her family. And our other SLP is Maggie Doniker, a medical SLP and a graduate of Ohio University and Bowling Green University. She has over 10 years of knowledge and clinical expertise with the acute and subacute healthcare settings. Maggie serves as Director of Operations for the Dysphagia Outreach Project, where she leads the nationwide distribution of supplies from the organization's Dysphagia Food Bank. She's a seven-time ASHA ACE Award winner and the primary facilitator of the first swallowing support group in Sarasota, Florida, the Dysphagia Digest of Florida. She's the owner and SLP of Transcend Speech and Swallowing Solutions in Sarasota, Florida. Maggie is a respected presenter, educator, and considers herself to be a passionate learner who believes that a sense of humor will always go a long way. And then our two other wonderful guests, uh, Len Amato, he's a head and neck cancer survivor and passionate attendee for the Dysphagia Digest of Florida and resides on the east side of Florida. And Tom LaGreca is also a head and neck cancer survivor and passionate attendee for the Dysphagia Digest of Florida and for whom this group was originally started for. He also resides on the west side of Florida, and I hope you all thoroughly enjoy this conversation. It was wonderful. I, I just love getting to hear from these two gentlemen, and of course, Maggie and Kristen for starting the support group. So hopefully this gives you uh, some good tidbits for why maybe you should start your own. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MetaSLP Collective. 
This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Thank you all for being here. We have a different episode today, but I'm very, very excited about it because I had some surprises in store for me too, which makes always makes for a good episode because it's completely organic. So... Maggie Doniker, Kristen Winter, wonderful SLPs down here in Florida. And Maggie, I'll let you start out with who you are, why you're here, what we're going to chat about. And I'll have you or Kristen introduce our other guests as well. Well, my name is Maggie Doniker. I'm a medical speech language pathologist that resides in Sarasota, Florida. I have the opportunity to work in um, two hospitals in my area. And I am the proud owner of Transcend Speech and Swallowing Solutions, which is a mobile outpatient uh, geriatric adult-based mobile clinic in regards to assisting individuals with evaluations and treatments as well as advocacy and education. It has been an interesting time, I guess, from the last time that I was on here, which was um, in 2019, I think. So a lot has changed even um, from there till now. And today, instead of kind of talking a little bit more about medical-based things, it's actually a little bit on the outside of what speech-language pathology can do outside of the workplace. Some hospitals actually do provide support groups through their systems. Um, I had the opportunity to start a support group, um, a swallowing support group on my own time for one of the individuals that's actually here with us today. And he um, inspired me because he wanted to make some connections that our current location did not have. Well, I'll jump forward and we'll kind of get into, like, I think the details of it is, is that now it's the only um, swallowing support group in the entire state of Florida. And I've had the opportunity to meet wonderful people. I've grown as a clinician based off of that. And we're going to kind of discuss a little bit about the impacts that we've had on the individuals. We've had some members here with us. And um, my colleague is also here that uh, has assisted me and helped me grow as a professional because of her background in support groups. And um, we're going to kind of break it down and show you that it's a wonderful thing that you're able to provide and kind of the maybe a little bit of the stepping stones and some considerations as well as actually what's out there within the research. Thanks, Maggie. And Kristen, who are you? Yes. Hi, my name is Kristen Winter, and I have been practicing speech pathology for more than 20 years uh, with nearly all of my career working with adults. So I wanted to share how I became involved in working with support groups as well and how, you know, you as speech pathologists or other professionals, you know, can start a group in your area too. So I have worked in several different hospital systems in South Florida, um, including an acute care rehab hospital, um, inpatient and outpatient rehab. Um, I've also worked and in a couple of different uh, SNFs and assisted livings. I've done um, home health. 
And I've treated and really seen a wide array of patients um, with dysphagia um, in all different stages of their dysphagia and um, in their life. So um, I've worked as the lead speech pathologist and then lead site coordinator of rehab. And I more recently transitioned to a per diem position during the COVID-19 pandemic to start my own adult private practice in this area. So I too, just like Maggie, I am just super passionate about advocacy and education for patients and families. And I ran a stroke support group for over 10 years um, at the hospital. And then I actually was involved in starting the second support group um, with our newer um, hospital, which opened about four or five years ago. I also just wanted to share that, so back in 2014, I wrote a grant through our hospital's foundation, and I was awarded over $9,000 to receive monies to assist with the the funding for the support group. We purchased um, iPads for everyone um, in the group, um, you know, materials and supplies and things like that. And then we also used some of the monies to help pay, um, to delegate that to pay for a nurse who served as a um, caregiver counselor during our meetings, which was um, super beneficial. So then last summer, um, I transitioned that support group to a Zoom platform so that the stroke support group members could continue to receive monthly support and exchange, you know, information, ideas, and, and just really support each other, you know, during um, this pandemic when we were no longer able to meet in person at the hospitals. So Maggie and I met just prior really to COVID. Um, and we met at a feed course here in South Florida it was, uh, I, I remember it was actually January of 2020, and we know, I think everyone knows COVID hit right about 20, you know, uh, March 2020, and we just really connected. That was the first time we ever met, and then we started, um, you know, keeping in touch and just texting and, um, and talking, and so she told me about her um, dysphagia digest um, over in Sarasota, and asked if I would like to partner with her. So she started the Dysphagia Digest of uh, Sarasota, on the, which is on the west coast of Florida, if you're not familiar kind of with the geography in Florida. And then I live on the east coast of Florida um, in Stewart, which is pretty much directly across um, from Sarasota. So we really kind of teamed together so that we could provide this Dysphagia Digest group for you know, anyone in, in our area, but then also the entire um, state of Florida, just to really help those people, you know, during, during the um, pandemic. So, you know, Maggie and I really are just supporting other speech pathologists to start support groups and specifically dysphagia support groups uh, in their area. You know, we don't want it to be a daunting task. You know, maybe it might be best to partner with someone, but, you know, feel free to, to start one on your own as well. So um, our group meets on Thursday nights on Zoom currently at 630. It's typically the third um, Thursday of the month. And, um, you know, we just meet and allow people to, you know, be together. We have had several speakers speak at the, at the group. We've had an OT. She was also a rehab manager. Um, she spoke about things like relaxation and um, stress relieving techniques. 
Um, we've spoken about esophageal dysphagia and reflux because several of our members in the group were experiencing that. And we thought, you know, that would be helpful, you know, but you can really also, you know, talk about your local resources and then national resources. You know, we have talked several times about the dysphagia outreach project and, you know, the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, you know, sharing their website and tips and things like that. So, you know, your support group can, can just kind of flow sometimes and just allow people to chat and support and be there for one another. But then you could also, you know, pull in speakers from, from time to time too, and, um, you know, use that time to, to educate, you know, the members in the group. Thank you, Kristen. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, who are our other lovely guests? Yes. So I will introduce Len here. He lives on the East coast of Florida by me. So welcome, Len. We just would love for you to share a little bit about your yourself and, and your uh, support group journey and, and your dysphagia story. I wasn't even aware I had dysphagia until I really joined with you. I had gone through squamous cell carcinoma, the base of my tongue, and didn't realize that I couldn't swallow that it had a name. I, being alone, have a tendency just to deal with the moment and not really advocate for myself or look into things very much. And it turns out I went through a couple of really tough years because I was never, my doctors never provided me information or guidance. Once I joined with you, it's just amazing all I've learned, how I've been able to make my life a lot easier. Things for you are basic common sense. You should know it right away when you this happens, expect this. I didn't have that, and you really opened my eyes, made the quality of my life drastically improved. And also being in your support group, there are other people come in where I've actually felt I've been able to be beneficial and help them by going over my experiences. I had experiences with a support group years ago. I was president of a cancer care of Connecticut and I started a couple of support groups and back then I was really amazed at how much good they did and how how they could really help people and now I'm the shoes on the other foot and I'm receiving all the benefits awesome Len how did you how did you find these ladies the speech therapist or pathologist I had as friends was Kristen and one day she just suggested you know this may be helpful. I have a friend, Kristen, has a support group. So I just joined in mainly to listen. And that's pretty much all I did the first few times. And then I started seeing, I started really getting benefits and then was open a lot more to sharing. I love that, Len. I think so many times people get intimidated because they don't want to join because they don't maybe feel comfortable sharing their story. And I know I usually say, just come and listen, just come and be a fly on the wall and I'm sure you'll gain something from it. And then it's, I, I just love when it's almost like the egg is cracked open and you, you finally do feel, you know, comfortable enough to share and give back your own experiences. Cause that's how we all move forward is just learning from each other and knowing that, you know, there's others that have been in the same position you're in. Yeah, it was, it was nice to realize I'm not the only one. And I wasn't just some, well, I'm still a weirdo, but I was not a weirdo <laughs> because of this. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about sort of your dysphagia journey, Len? You know, were you were you on a feeding tube or were you just on a restrictive diet or did you choose to not go that route? Or would just love to hear hear a little bit more about your journey. When I I got my chemo and radiation, they had encouraged me from the beginning to go on a feeding tube. They never really told me why. I thought it was just because of all the weight I lost. But then after treatments, I wound up going to the hospital three months in a row um, with severe pneumonia. I wasn't supposed to make it all three times. I didn't realize how bad I was. Oh, well, I'm glad nobody told you. Yeah, nobody, even my, <laughs> my, my radiation oncologist kept forcing me, telling me to eat and drink more because I was losing weight. Meanwhile, that was causing my pneumonia. Um, I had silent aspirations. And after the third time, uh, one of the doctors in the hospital went over everything with me and said, we, the only way we're going to let you out is we get a feeding tube. So I, I acquiesced and it made, certainly stopped me from losing weight, stabilized my body, started me on the road back. Um, unfortunately, I should have been told this to have it properly explained to me in the beginning. It would have saved a lot of trouble, but now it's been three years. I've been living on a feeding tube. It makes, in some ways, it makes life easier because it's simple. You know, during the pandemic, when people couldn't shop, it was a piece of cake for me. I had my sitting down meal every day. I love your silver linings, Lynn. Yeah, to find something good. Um, but I've continued through the work, the efforts of my the pathologist, things she told me to do and exercise. It's, you know, I'm, I'm able to swallow a little bit now, which is nice. Still 99% relying on the feeding tube. As I do the, put the work in and things improved a little, which I never thought they would. Simple little things, taking a sip of something turns out to be a real treat. Yeah. Yeah. I had a woman on a few episodes ago, Kristen, Maggie, I'm not sure if you heard it, but she had been on a feeding tube for six years and had been told that there was really nothing that could be done. And she just kept seeking out different professionals and finally got linked up with the right group and got on the right treatment plan and is now finally got the feeding tube removed. So I love, I love to hear the tenacity of, of some of our patients. So part of my problem is, an acid, um, I just compartmentalize and deal with things as they come. I really don't think much about anything. I just do it on my old sayings. I'll just do it. I'm told whatever the doctor tells me I do, I follow, but I should advocate for myself a little better. Unfortunately, being alone, it's, you don't have anybody else to rely on. So my way yeah. of dealing is just not thinking about things and doing them. And actually, through Kristen and Maggie, you know, I've op- I've opened my horizons a little bit. Good, good. And it's helped me and hopefully helping somebody else. Yeah, good, good. I-, I think that's something we're all sort of learning as medical professionals, you know, throughout the whole pandemic is just we can't tell our patients what to do. You know, we it, it's it's not good for anybody to just say, hey, you need to do this. You should do this because I say so. You know, I think we've learned so much throughout the pandemic that it has to be such a shared decision-making process. You know, we, we think maybe you should do this. This is what we would recommend and why, you know, what works for you and your choices and your wishes and your lifestyle. And 
And I think, you know, we're all, we're all learning that. And I don't, I don't know why for some reason doctors and other medical professionals just were taught to tell people what they should do. And it wasn't this team approach that we're now learning is really what makes the best outcomes for everybody. You, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, they've suggested things or explained things. Do this, this might happen. And it just opened a whole new horizon for me. Yeah. Whereas the doctors would just very simply do this. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing, Len. I really, really appreciate it. This is wonderful. My pleasure. Yeah. Happy anytime. Awesome. All right. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to introduce Tom. Tom is the gentleman to whom I actually started this entire support group for. Thanks, David. Yeah, you're welcome. So, um, Tom, please take it away. Tell us a little bit about, um, oh, Tom actually lives, um, now he moved. He actually lives in Lakewood Ranch, which is, um, very close or within Sarasota and things like that. And, um, tell us a little bit about your story, Tom. And hello, everybody. I'm Tom LaGreca down here in the Sarasota area since the fall of 2018. Uh, prior to coming down here, I was living in New Jersey and New York. Uh, I was in advertising as an art director and graphic designer my whole career and made Sarasota my retirement destination. So my wife and I and my French bulldog, we moved down here three years ago. And the first... Close to a year, uh, we rented an apartment and we had considered, um, you know, buying a house down here. And I was, I think it was in the spring of 2019, it was. I was on my way to my sister's daughter. So this is my niece, her wedding in, they live in Charleston. So that's about a seven-hour drive from Sarasota. And we left early in the morning, and we were driving to Charleston about two or three hours into the drive. I noticed that my neck was hurting. And so I started to rub my neck, and I felt this, like a lump and swelling on the left side of my neck. Long story short, that weekend... Um, I developed pain, swelling, and a big, you know, lump area, which I knew was something really not good. And so I made arrangements to see a doctor as soon as I got home that uh, Tuesday morning. Went to the doctor. They took blood tests. Tests came back, and they told me that I had cancer. They diagnosed me as having, they thought, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which turned out to be incorrect. Once they took a biopsy, they realized that it was squamous cell carcinoma, the same cancer that Len had, and that I had a tumor at the base of my tongue. Uh, from there, I went to have a biopsy of that tumor to see if it was HPV positive which it turned out to be. So the diagnosis I was given was HB positive, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, which is basically head and neck cancer. The treatment for that was radiation and chemotherapy. And I went through about close to three months of treatment, 33 radiation treatments, 
and three treatments of chemotherapy, one in the beginning of radiation, one in the middle, and the third one at the end of radiation. Primarily, I dealt with a medical oncologist for my chemo and a radiation um, uh, radiologist for my radiation. She oversaw my radiation. And they pretty much outlined for me what to expect through the treatment, but you can never be prepared. So the long story short is that after treatment, I ended up with losing 55 pounds. I went into treatment at 192, came out of treatment at 138. So it's 50-something pounds. About three-quarters of the way through treatment, maybe about five, six weeks in, I wasn't able to eat anymore. And my radiation doctor, my, my radiologist, she was very emphatic. She wanted me to do everything humanly possible to avoid a feeding tube. She was one of the doctors that said, no, we don't want you to have a feeding tube. The problem there is if you stop swallowing, you stop using all the musculature and the, the you know, the, the neck and throat apparatus that it can atrophy and it's going to cause more problems down the line. So we want you to do everything possible. I tried, but I couldn't, couldn't not lose the weight. I mean, you just get to the point where you just barely can eat, you know? So once I finished treatment, she then uh, wanted me to go into speech and swallow therapy. At that point, I was drinking okay, eating very soft, light, or liquid foods. Um, and so that's when I met Maggie. Uh, she was my introduction to the uh, swallow therapy world. And when I sat down with her for the first time, she basically told me I had this thing called dysphagia, which I didn't know anything about. But we worked together to evaluate what my swallowing and my um, tolerance was at the time. And it, it wasn't very good, was it? Well, you were considered at that point in time, you were aspirating silently. Yeah. Okay, so I was, silent, some, I was a silent some limited uh, pharyngeal clearance yeah. there, if I can remember correctly. Right. For me, my experience was more... It wasn't so much the swallowing, which was difficult, but the fact that I had lost the desire to eat and the taste. All my taste buds were gone at that point and all my desire to eat. Um, And it should be noted that prior to treatment, I was one of the biggest foodies on the planet. I used to love to eat. So, to lose that and to lose the desire was really very, very scary for me because I didn't know what would ever come back. And the doctors don't, they don't promise you anything, but they tell you basically it can take six months, it can take 12 months, it could take a a year or two to really come back from this treatment because the treatment is so hard on your body. During 
my work with Maggie, I think we, we worked together for at least two months. Um, you know, I would do exercises and I would get some apparatus and we worked together to get my swallowing, um, and my musculature, you know, beginning to go again. And by the time I finished my swallow therapy there, uh, I was able to eat moderately, um, some more solid-like foods. Uh, I wasn't tasting very well, but I was certainly had come a long way where I was getting in some nourishment. So those initial two or three months in therapy, I think, were really instrumental in providing the foundation for me to get things back. And if I were to jump ahead six months to a year, I was able to gain back about 90, 95% of all of my taste, all of my enjoyment of food, and all of my ability to swallow and handle things. Um, it was a long process, and it took a long time. And, and along the way, I'd have all kinds of difficulties. But um, I am now almost two years from, from treatment. And in my mind, I'm like normal in my eating and normal in what I want to eat and can eat. So I've come a tremendous way. And I feel like I'm one of the fortunate people because there's no way I would have known um, how much I'd get back. And so now I kind of feel like when I come to the support group and I see everybody at different places I can kind of be maybe somewhat of an inspiration to say this is possible in some cases. And everybody seems to think that I, I do encourage them. Um, and I really try to empathize with where everybody's at because it's a really difficult and challenging problem. And there's not a lot of people out there that know much about it and, know, you know, this process. So for those of us that are going through it, um, there really is tremendous support and tremendous camaraderie. And I, I think we've really all bonded together with Maggie and Kristen and those of us that are in the group so that we really do advocate for one another and support one for one another through our month to month journey and, um, or, uh, different challenges that we meet, um, you know, as we deal with this. So, uh, I'm really glad that Maggie <laughs> started the group, uh, and she, um, is really instrumental for me being where I am today, uh, as well as, uh, I, I really, um, thank the group mem- members for helping to keep me motivated and um, inspired by their journeys. Yeah. You know what? And Tom, can I, um, I just want to share something. I don't know if you and Len remember this. This was a few of our meetings ago, but you were talking in the group and you were talking about your swallowing and you told the group that, you know, I, just like you said, you said, I feel like I have about 95% of my swallowing back. And then you kind of said, oh, well, but I'm not 
I don't want to make you all feel bad by saying this because we have some other members in the group that have a lot of difficulty swallowing. And Len, you said in our group, because I wrote it down, you said, I want to win it, but I'm happy to see other people win it too, which I honestly just thought was so cool and just like that, that was it. That's the, that was the support group for the night was that you, you know, you Len, um, you know, you have trouble, but you, uh, yeah, you were just happy to have other people. You were so happy that Tom, darn it, was able to eat, you know, 95% of the time. So that was just a really, really neat, really neat, shareable moment. Um, and then we had another member in our group that said, you know, dysphagia, it's just, it's a label you carry with you. On the inside, you know, she said, people can't see it. I'm, I'm walking, I'm talking, I look great. And people look at me like, why, why can't you, why can't you swallow? But, you know, I just, I thought her analogy was, uh, was right on, right on point. So I just wanted to share that nice moment with everyone. Thank you, Len. Thank you, Tom, for sharing. You're welcome. How, I, I'd love to hear how this this group has grown. Now, I just I love to hear how you guys have connected, and and thank you, Len and Tom, for sharing your stories. And you know, do you, Tom, do you feel like you you want to keep inviting people to the group and keep seeing it grow? And yeah, um, you know, I think we had one or possibly two meetings in the very beginning when it started, right before COVID hit. So we never really got a chance to launch it in person. And so 98% of the group has really been virtual, um, which can be a challenge trying to get more people uh, to join in some ways. And then is, is actually easier on people in other ways because they can just tune in. But uh, we've never be, been able to attract large numbers but what I've found is that we've attracted the right people at the right time and it's quality so that everybody can get something of what they need when we meet together, whether it's, there's usually at least four of us on a regular basis. Sometimes it can be as many as six or seven of us, plus then Maggie and Kristen. So, um, you know, we, we vacillate between half a dozen and, um, a dozen people on a regular basis, but it always just seems to be something good that comes out of it. Uh, It's, it's kind of like a a bright and little happy spot in your month that you might say, Oh, I got to do the group tonight. But then when you sit down and do it, you're like so happy that you've done it very, very generous with their time and their energy. So we really appreciate them. Awesome. Thank you for sharing, Tom. Mm-hmm. Maggie, Kristen, any any final thoughts? Anything you guys want to share? Um, also, too, how this has kind of grown is, is just um, the understanding of how, like, a support group can technically have, like, some structured things within it. Um, we've had and had, have had, had the opportunity to kind of ask our members in general too, what do you want to talk about? We've had, like Kristen shared, um, a variety of educational things. Sometimes we help facilitate things by like dropping a question in there or even sometimes sharing how the month, the prior month has been kind of leads them to do things. We facilitate, but to be honest, like, we only really talk a little bit at the beginning and then normally I drop some sort of weird 
factoid like within there at like some <laughs> stage in the game. And then that also carries on conversations. We've had some pretty critical cases come on. We've had some people just come on too, just for some education. We've had a pretty significant um, individual with echolasia um, at one point in time as well. So it's been really neat to just see the growth and the transition more and more. We're actually starting to bring up, um, bring in some more educators in the next few months um, as well as things like Kristen shared too, what's happening in the area. Cause it is really nice when you know, like where you can go to. Um, what's great is, is that there is research that is kind of out there in regards to support groups just in general. And what I found too was, is that there was a Washington post article that came out in 2020 that actually did indicate that there is still a lot of benefit to not only in-person, but virtual as well. So virtual support groups and so forth does allow that, like Tom indicated that like happy space um, within sometimes the darkness of the times, because some people just want to still connect um, in a different way. Obviously physical is a little bit different than screen time, but even that has momentum impact on just the mental health. Um, we also don't provide treatment in this group. I think that that sometimes is a little concerning for people. Like we are not recommending that they change, alter, or do anything. If that sometimes comes up, we actually, Kristen and I are very aware of, hey, you need to like go talk to your speech pathologist or uh, you might want to reach out to so-and-so in regards to that. Or we've had situations where... um manual therapy on certain things. Tom actually helped another one of our members trying to find a local physical therapist to provide some manual therapy more so to the whole body. So there's, we are more facilitators, not once again, too, we're not really saying like, Oh, you like, you should be doing this because there's a time and a place for that. This is more for education, understanding, um, referring back to and making those connections. So that way you're not necessarily feeling alone. So that way you know that this is something that does occur. And then our members then too are able to then share with their family members to then, you know, keep sharing on the sharing tree in regards to getting more advocacy out there that's already, you know, within our field, um, but in a different way when it really does come to the patients. And I know that, um, Teresa, I know that your book also um, is going to be a huge proponent to that as well, component rather. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. But there's definitely um, research out there a lot for more so the mental health. I think within the um, show notes and so forth, there's a series of articles, too, that we've found um, not specifically 100% within the dysphagia area. There's individuals within the head and neck um, population that a uh, few articles when it comes to uh, support groups on the impact of that within the holistic treatment plan. But there's not really like a whole truckload of research based off of specifically um, dysphagia, but there is quite a few um, research articles within um, mental health and psychology. Um, AA also too kind of goes through there. So we tried to do what we could to not actually use a support group term within our title, because that also makes people like we talked about earlier, like a little uncomfortable, but it's, it's actually a pretty straightforward thing to do. Anybody can actually really start this. It's more along the lines of, 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 are you able to make 
that available within your schedule to impact the people around you. We've had um, other speech language pathologists come and go throughout our group just to see what it's like. So that way, hopefully they can get invigorated to start their own. I know that um, Mickey Shibata actually um, inspired me to reach out to NFOSD that um, National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, so that way I could get a good platform about where to start. You can reach out to them because they allow you to give some good frameworks, and then they also assist you with posting your information on their website. Uh, with that, we have a website for our support group. Anybody's actually welcome to come. We also have a pretty active Instagram um, in regards to just factoids here and there and some inspirational things to inspire others. And it's been a fantastic journey. It's been really wonderful to see the growth within the group, as well as uh, providing the education that sometimes is needed or the uh, advocacy even within the group members. So it's been a wonderful, what, how long has it been? Two, two years? Two years. Two, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Two years. Is, yeah. Whoa. Amazing. You guys. Amazing. All right. Thank you for sharing all that, Maggie. I think, I think the the semantics around the word support group is always interesting because I know when I think of support group, I think of just going and crying about all my problems and, you know, not something that I would want to sign up to do, you know, but I know that I'm in other quote unquote support groups for things that I'm involved in and, you know, just framing them as advocacy groups or education groups can somehow just take the, I guess, the sting away of it. And yeah, it's, I've created some lifelong friends and have just gotten so much more help within those, you know. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And Lauren Herman actually developed the name. So thanks Lauren always for your eloquent words. Yes. Always. Kristen. Just to tie back in just, you know, hoping and challenging, you know, other SLPs, you know, all, all over the United States and really everywhere just to form these groups. And it really just needs to start with one or two and, you know, I know we've been, you know, talking a, a lot about just, you know, just to be able to provide the education and help advocate um, for these people with dysphagia and with swallowing disorders. You know, I think it can be, you know, a bit lonely, you know, sometimes. And I know, you know, Teresa, yeah, you know, I'd love to plug your book, too, because it's just so awesome. And, you know, um, the book that you wrote, you know, so you're having trouble swallowing. You know, it's for caregivers. It's for patients. Um, and I have just, you know, loved reading it and I've, I've learned a lot and, you know, want to share it, you know, with some of, some of our, um, you know, members with, with dysphagia. But, um, I think you can hear from the gentlemen today that a lot of them sort of leave the hospital or leave their doctor's offices and they just don't know where to turn. So we just know that there's such a need, um, you know, to have, to have these, these groups just to help, you know, educate and, um, advocate for, for everyone. So. Thank you so much, Tom and Len. Honestly, you all are such an inspiration, you know, really to Maggie and me. I mean, you, um, you know, you all are the, are the heroes. You know, we just kind of provide the the platform and open our Zoom up, you know, to you all. But you all have really, really made a great impact, you know, on some of the members of our group. So I, I thank you for that. You guys are the reason we do what we do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your stories and, and being open about it. So. You help a lot of people more than you probably realize. 
You know, you know, I think that's what's what's so interesting about this profession. I, you know, there's such wonderful people that work in it. And sometimes you just, you know, healthcare stinks right now with the pandemic. And I think sometimes we just get lost in really how powerful and wonderful our profession really can be. And, you know, I always think back to some of the patients that I've worked with and I'm like, gosh, I really did have such an impact on their life. But you just get caught in the sort of hamster wheel of healthcare right now. So Thank you, gentlemen, for reminding us that what we do is is wonderful and powerful and stinks that we need those reminders sometimes. But thank you for, for doing that. Oh, pleasure. Yeah. You're welcome. All right. Any any final thoughts? Everybody good? Brace in their peace. All right. Well thank thank yeah, thank you again, everybody. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit SwallowYourPridePodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.